Blog Talk Radio. Via Radio Saigon and simulcast across the country via Blog Talk Radio and later BFlow360.com. This is Fanatic Radio, America's premier sports music program. I'm your host, Mike Gardner. Join with me always, my partner in crime, the notorious Ben Florence. Still rocking it in the nation's capital, I see. Absolutely, as always. I'm currently rocking it via DC Metro Bus, which is uh, always fun. We're actually going right over on Lime Rock Park, so. Warm day, going downtown for a little work event tonight, and uh, yeah, you know, fun times. Good to have you back on the show. Hope you had a great fourth. I oh, I did. I uh, went home, uh, pulled some shenanigans at home, saw a friend of mine in South Jersey. I hope you had a good fourth as well. Sir. I did. I noticed that uh, Joey Chestnut stole your uh, hot dog eating crown and the mustard belt. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Yes, he did. Oh, my. Anyway, we have a good show for you on hand. We have uh, we continue to finalize our Part 2 series with Hall of Fame head coach Gary Williams. That will be later in this first half. In the second half, we'll break down the World Cup final, which is this Sunday, how Germany was able to win 7-1 and what could only be the most surprising thing of this World Cup, and the MLB All-Star game, just to know uh, what we can look forward to seeing the best and brightest of Major League Baseball take the field in Minneapolis. But we begin today with the Breaking news of the day that LeBron James is headed back home to the Cleveland Cavaliers flow. We speculated that he would stay in Miami, but apparently when he had his meetings with Pat Riley in Vegas not too long ago, he said nothing really came out of those. And when when talk sort of broke down of him having more interest in Miami than Cleveland, was coming back home the right choice for him? You know, I think it's definitely – because what he said in his letter, and, I, and I'll give LeBron a lot of credit, he did this free agency and how he announced it so much better than the last time with the decision and all that uh, shenanigans. Um, I think I think what he decided is that, because what he said in the letter is that eventually he, he was planning on going back to Cleveland. He said he wanted to finish his career there. And I think a lot of people thought that. But I don't think anybody thought that would happen right now or even – and it's one of those things where you think about it a week ago, and over the past week, I, even I started getting anything. You know what? This may still happen. And I realized, you know, it could very well end up in Cleveland. And even then, it's still surprising to see him going back. But I think he made, I think he made a good decision. I think that he looked at the Heat. They were going to have some issues uh, probably putting together a strong roster. And I think when he looks at Cleveland, probably not as much of a chance to win a title right away, even though he'll definitely be in the hunt in, you know, what is a mediocre, at, certainly a mediocre at best Houston conference. When you look at that core, it's going to be him, Kyrie Irving, uh, as of right now with Andrew Wiggins, but it's interesting. He didn't mention Andrew Wiggins or Anthony Bennett in the 
letter that on uh, sportsillustrated.com, which is where this whole story broke earlier today. So now people are speculating, could Cleveland be in the mix to tr- make a, little, a trade for Kevin Love out of Minnesota? So I think it's, I don't think he made a bad decision. I think ultimately, in my opinion, I thought the start of the free agency that it was going to be Cleveland or Miami, but I thought it was going to be Miami. But I think he made a, a solid decision. I think it's a, uh, a team that does have a bright future. It's a place where he seemed to want to go back at some point, and I guess for him, he decided having gotten the title in Miami, that but although it's not a great roster to afford, I think he thought that Cleveland could be the place to be where he could further cement his legacy as one of the game's all-time greats. Yeah, no surprise he stayed in the Eastern Conference. Interesting, though, not only is LeBron a newest member of the Cavaliers, but Dave Blatt, new head coach, which was announced not too long ago as well, coming over from the uh, from Eurobasket and the EuroLeague coaching at, uh, in Tel Aviv. It's sort of like when he was with, uh, with Mike Brown, you know, a, new, a new coach for his first time. And LeBron basically can do whatever he wants. That's something we're going to see. This is the LeBron show with supporting cast of uh, Irving and Anderson Vergeau and all those guys. I think I think it's definitely an interesting point because when he went to Miami, there was a coach in place, Eric Spolstra, and Pat Riley had a lot of confidence in. And even though he was a young coach, he also had been on the job and had experience to where he could hand. The situation, even though it didn't go right to plan at the start, but and and also Spolstra did have to deal with the pressure, at least initially, or the fear that some had speculated that Pat Riley would come down and take over the job, kind of like how Sam Van Gundy was more or less pushed out when they had brought Shaq down. Now, what I wonder though, it's it's interesting because now Blatt comes over, he's never been a head coach in the NBA before doesn't really have any NBA coach experience, although he's very well-respected and he'll be a very bright and intelligent coach. It's going to be interesting to see how he, uh, Blatt and LeBron, and this whole team really comes together, considering he's never really had to be with a guy like LeBron before. So he's known for being you know, very smart, but also a demanding coach. Expect a lot of his players, and he runs a, a strong system. So it's definitely going to be something interesting to see. But if if LeBron was it from no qualms coming back to Cleveland, I don't think that he'll have any problems with Black. And who knows? This maybe uh, LeBron had suggested that he would like to maybe work with Black. Maybe that's why they hired him. Who knows about that, if that's true or not. But I think that uh, it's definitely going to be something to – Watch out for, going forward, a new-time NBA head coach and a team now that's going to be a media contender in the Eastern Conference. You mentioned the Eastern Conference. Uh, just this past week, Lionel Hollins took the job with the Brooklyn Nets as yeah. they still yep. try to keep to keep uh, your Nets, to keep the team together. Paul Pierce still on the free agency wire. Kevin Garnett yeah. getting up in his wonder years. With, uh, and La Hollins has proven – to turn teams around, he took the uh, Memphis Grizzlies to the Western Conference Finals last year. Yep. Is there any other threats other than the Indiana Pacers that stand in the way of the Cleveland Cavaliers? I think um, you mentioned Indiana, and I think that even though they have their problems, and they're probably going to end up losing Lance Stevenson, that's still a very good team with a very good coach. 
Who knows what happens with Roy Herbert? They do have their problems, but I think ultimately it's a very it's a very solid, well-rounded club that I think that they'll be certainly a team to watch, although pr- probably not the face. Uh, the Washington Wizards. Uh, Bob Ryan said on uh, part of the interruption uh, a couple days ago that if LeBron were to leave Miami, the Wizards would become the favorites in the Eastern Conference. Now, I don't know if they're the favorites of the Cavaliers, but as we've seen, a young, talented Wizards team with virtually everybody coming back, although uh, Trevor Rees is still up in the air. All that in mind, that's a very, very talented team, a team to watch out for. And I think the Chicago Bulls, provided they get a healthy returning Jared Rose, will also be in the mix. And who knows, if they can somehow get Carmelo Anthony to town, that can certainly that would I think that would be the team to beat Carmelo and the Bulls, but there's still so much to be determined as of right now. But I think Cleveland definitely in the threat. Uh, I like Washington a lot. Indiana will be in the mix. Chicago. Beyond that, it's it's a wide open conference again. Does Melo stay with the Knicks, or does this prompt Carmelo to go to a different place more now that LeBron James has been this sort of first big domino in the free agency trades? You know, I think with Carmelo, I don't necessarily buy or agree with the theory that Carmelo was waiting for LeBron. I think that it all time, it still looks like it was reported by Fred Castell a couple days ago that LeBron was going to sign with he signed with the Knicks, although everyone is just uh, a lot of people have said that's not certain yet. And even I saw said this piece barring something last minute, which means something still could happen. I, it looks like you'll probably end up back in New York. You'll be just, you'll be uh, to see how much money will he go for the full max. We signed for a little less. Um, I think that he'll probably end up to New York. Now that's a team not going to be a championship team by any stretch next year, although they should be a playoff team, although, of course, they couldn't make the playoff last year. So I think he'll end up, probably end up back in New York. I think that Chicago still would have to, even though I, I would have thought Chicago would be the favorite, but Chicago still has to make some sort of move to create more capital. Carmel is going to take a big take. Uh, and I don't know if he's really interested in playing for the Lakers, well, although they def- certainly made a strong appeal. I think Carmel. It looks like he's gonna have just head back to New York and try and build something there with Phil Jackson, Derek Fisher, and Jaron Burns. Yeah, it seems logical to have to head back to New York because I think they'll give him more money. And if he got the only plausible one would be Chicago because uh, Jeremy Lin actually went to the Lakers, which yeah. uh, brings us to our final question of uh, Houston making bids to get Chris Bosch. Who knows what happens with that in the up-and-coming weeks? What happens to uh, the Miami Heat now? They've essentially just lost their franchise player. They have one who is injury-prone, 32 years old, Dwayne Wade. Pat Riley yep. couldn't persuade LeBron to come back. Do the Heat yep. just go back to what they were a few years ago? I, I, You know, a lot of people said that we still don't know what happens with Dwayne Wade. Who knows, maybe he'll sign somewhere else now and leave this whole thing, although I would still expect him to return to Miami. I think that people suggest that all of a sudden the Miami's going to go back to being what they were before, you know, a low, uh, like people suggested like the year when they traded Shaq 
and they won like 17 games and then had the number two pick in the NBA draft, which they used the greatest back in selecting Michael Beasley. But I think that I, I think that Pat Riley is too smart of an NBA guy, an NBA executive. He definitely has some sort of backup plan in place to where he can get pieces to Miami and in the in the case that LeBron James left. Who knows? Maybe you'll see them bringing in the wall dank. They don't have any they really don't have anybody on the roster and they have a ton of money flexibility because they don't I, they just don't have anybody on the roster. So it, it looks like I, they definitely can still bring in some solid guys, maybe make a play for uh, for Eric Bledsoe. I would not rule out the Heat yet. They're certainly not going to be an NBA title contender next year. But I think that for anybody to necessarily rule them out, while the offseason is still very young, I think they could be mistaken. And as we've seen from the Heat uh, in the Eastern Conference, anything is possible. As we mentioned earlier, the Wizards ended up being with the third best team in that conference when, and when it was all said and done. So LeBron James back to Cleveland. You did not hear it first on Fanatic Radio, but you did not hear the last of it on this show. Well, we will, conclude for the, we will conclude the last part. It is our two-part series with Hall of Fame basketball coach Gary Williams, former American University, Boston College, and Maryland basketball coach. Just this past week, the Terps made the uh, somewhat controversial, but in the end, big move to the Big Ten, which now has, I think, 13 teams when you add Rutgers and Maryland? 14. 14 teams in a Big Ten conference. Needless to say, the, the Terps, the Big Ten now officially stretches from as far, I think as far west as Milwaukee, to as far east as Jersey, to as far south as the U as the uh, DMV area. Yeah. So for Gary, for Gary Williams going to the Hall of Fame, our two-part series. Originally out of the box, we have to ask we ask Coach Williams what his thoughts on the recent unionization things that the NCAA is going after, and especially for uh, when Shabazz Napier made the bold comments of how he wasn't fed. And Gary Williams, thoughts on the unionization? The problem, you've seen the Northwestern thing with the players talking about unionization and things like that. There's all kinds of problems that um, come along with that. In other words, if you pay players, um, then all of a sudden you have to tax that money. But if not just that money, then you tax a $60,000 scholarship in Northwestern. Uh, any gear that you would get from Under Armour, Nike, whatever, that would all be taxed. So, we're talking about different things here. Where, where the NCAA has really gone wrong, in my opinion, is they haven't increased the value of the scholarship. When I was in school back in the 60s, we received $15 a month cash, which would be $200 a month now. And so there's people walking around on every campus that has a better scholarship than the NCAA scholarship. The, the NCAA scholarship, blue board books, tuition fees. There's kids in Maryland, I know, for example, that walk around that have a clothing allowance, that have transportation allowances. The NCAA not paying for parents of players, like if you're from Connecticut and you play in Dallas at the Final Four, the NCAA made $1.3 billion from revenue, from advertising revenue from weekend. And not to be, not to pay for parents' players to go is a crime. You know, it's just a crime that the NCAA, and that's why the NCAA basically is going to go down. It's going to change completely. It's 
you're not going to recognize that in three or four years. But anyway, fires, what they get is the value of an education. Okay, and that's a great thing. It's kind of lost in the wash now how important it is. You know, just think about getting a free education. That's pretty good. But at the same time, the players, and a lot of this is what we talked about before with social media and everything, they know exactly how much each school makes from their, say, men's basketball program. They know the share that the uh, school gets from the NCAA tournament. They know how much money. I mean, when you sign a $12 billion contract with CBS, players see that. You know, that's for men's basketball, that $12 billion contract. And they go, well, like, how about me? Because if you give a guy a scholarship that has no money, he still has no money. You haven't put any money in his pocket. And that's where some people <coughs> in the play. That's where a lot of things happen. They, they could have been, if the NCAA had the foresight, they could have seen this coming and really done a better job with making it a better life for the players. But part of what Napier said is true. Players can go hungry, you know, at night because, you know, they burn a tremendous amount of calories of practice to big people for the most part. And it's really a problem sometimes. Like if I recruited, this is 10 years ago now, I think there's a, an emergency clothing fund now, but when I was coaching, if I recruited a guy from Florida and the winter was like it was here, I can't go out and buy him a winter coat. I'm not allowed to be an NCAA violation if I did that. It's hard. You know, it's just hard. Coach, what are your thoughts on much social media has given the collegiate student-athlete autonomy? You, know, you see certain players committing via Twitter rather than on waiting for a national signing day. I know players have gone home after practice and said, Coach sucks, you know, he doesn't get me the ball when I'm open. We run a terrible offense. And what happens is other schools get a hold of that. And they send it, they might be recruiting the same players I am, so they send that to the kids who are recruiting. So it's not just the immediate impact of, of what they tweet, but it, it goes across the country very quickly to everything involved with basketball. And that's the problem. It's out of control. It's, it's one thing, if a player has a complaint, he puts it on the internet, you know, in some area. Okay, that's fine. But then it gets used by all these other people. You can't coach because this player says your offense stinks. Yeah, and that, that's the problem. It just multiplies. And then you bring the kid in in the office the next day, and you know, what are you doing? You're killing our program. You're really hurting our team. And then they get upset at that, and then they go back and tweet something else. You know, it just keeps, it just seems like it snowballs nowadays a lot more than it used to. In terms of a big program, you took over Maryland, and your alma mater, and what were your Initial thoughts as, as taking probably it end up being the most successful job of your coaching career. Well, I think first of all, I wouldn't have left Ohio State if I knew what was ahead of me. Uh, I don't think I was lied to. I, I just think people didn't know. But the NCAA came in all during that first year. We, we really had a good team. Uh, I had three guys playing the NBA on that team. But every day, our players were yanked out of class. Uh, the lady coming to practice, talk to NCAA investigators, talk to university lawyers, you know, it kept going back and forth like that. So we found out the week of the ACC tournament, uh, my first year there, it's the first week in March, that we had two years of no television, two years of no NCAA tournament, and a reduction of three scholarships. So right then, I thought I might have moved one time too many and gotten into a situation where you can't win, because back then, early 90s, Duke and Carolina, I think won three out of the four national championships um, during that time. 
Plus, we had really good teams like Wake was really good. Uh, NC State was very good in the ACC then. You know, I just didn't see any way out. You know, how are we going to get from the bottom to where we compete against Duke and North Carolina? So I remember for about a year being really depressed. I, I was very depressed thinking I'd turn away my career. And um, I, I don't know why. I walked in the office one day and I just looked around and I just said, we're going to get this done somehow. And we, we just made up our minds that uh, we would find a way to win. And, you know, basketball, fortunately in basketball, it doesn't take too many players to turn it around. You have to get a couple of great ones, and I did. Uh, but you know, it, it was a very good chance. And uh, that was the only time I almost quit coaching in college. A good friend of mine, Dave Gavin, became the CEO of the Boston Celtics. And he asked me to come with him to be an assistant coach with the idea that in a few years, whether it be for the Celtics or not, that somewhere in the NBA I could get a head coaching job. And I almost did that. I really had a lot of thoughts, but I, I finally said I made a commitment to come to Maryland. Uh, maybe I was dumb, stupid, whatever, but at the same time, I just made up my mind we were going to get it done. And it's one of those things where I think that's important sometimes not to try to figure out how to do it because it looks too hard. If you, if you try to get reasons why you can do something, you just got to commit to doing it and then figure out how to do it after you commit to getting it done. He's Gary Williams, former University of Maryland head basketball coach, now Nathan's Basketball Hall of Fame inductee. He'll be inducted into the hall, August 8th, joins us here on Fanatic Radio. How did you deal with those sanctions then, knowing that your first few years at a big school was reduction of scholarships and no uh, TV time? What we tried to do is, um, since we weren't on television, we tried to recruit locally. And we were, we were fortunate to get a class of uh, Dwayne Simpkins, who was at the math, uh, X-ray Hip, who was local, who was a great athlete at about 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. And um, Johnny Rhodes, who still has the all-time steals record for the ACC conference. And Johnny played at Dunbar in D.C. And those three guys, even though we, we didn't do well their freshman year, they all had to play. And I think that's why they came, because they knew they were going to get a lot of playing time their first year. So they had to play. That was the year Walt Williams left. Right? So we weren't very good. That was our worst year. And, but that allowed us to recruit two really good players, a guy named Joe Smith, was the Naismith Award winner, number one player in the country, drafted first over Kevin Barnett, people like that. Uh, he was a great player. Played in the league for 15 years, not, not a spectacular career, but longevity, made a lot of money. And then Keith Booth was Dunbar in Baltimore. His team won the uh, junior year there, the number one team in the country. He was McDonald's All-American, all that stuff. And a great player who became the assistant coach with me is uh, Tyler McFly. But those two guys, when they were freshmen, and the three freshmen from the four sophomores, who we went from winning three games in the ACC in freshman year to going to the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament. And that basically is what turned it around our ability to recruit locally, uh, because, like I said, you couldn't say watch this play on ESPN because we weren't on television. So we had to recruit locally, and it worked out really well. You mentioned. Uh, it was a struggle being in the ACC, arguably one of the best bas college basketball conferences, competing with Duke and North Carolina for recruiting and on the court. Now Maryland goes to the Big Ten to play the teams of Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa, Purdue. What are your takes on 
the conference realignment, how much it's just changed the, the landscape of college athletics as we know it. Football contracts drive um, the realignment uh, of conferences. Uh, you know, Maryland <clears throat> leaving the ACC, charter member of the ACC, uh, going to the Big Ten. That's, you know, Maryland was criticized for doing that, but it, a lot of that is emotional. Uh, Maryland is in a tough financial situation in the athletic department right now. The Big Ten network, Big Ten was the first conference to get their own TV network. They sell games to like CBS, ESPN, whatever. The Big, the Big Ten payout is, next year will be $29 million to the member schools, and the ACC is $17 million. What you have to understand with that money department, somebody's got to pay the bills. It's just like any other company. If you have 20-some sports, the only two that have the chance to make money are men's basketball and football. So what do you do? You know, you're forced into situations. Maryland has never been great. At, you know, it's a state university. It's not like private schools where they can raise a ton of money easily every year. And so we struggle with that. Um, Jim Beheim and Circus, who's a friend of mine, we're the same age, he, um, he put it well. They did a 30 on 30 on ESPN on the old Big East, and they asked him what it would feel like as a founding partner in the Big East, leaving the Big East, and he said, I'm not leaving the Big East that I knew, because the Big East changed completely. The ACC has changed completely. There's seven former Big East teams in the ACC now. Um, the Big Ten has Nebraska, has Rutgers now, has Maryland. You know, they changed. Everybody's changed. So it's the way it is. It hurts rivalries, things like that. But at the same time, these five conferences, there are four now, the five major conferences, they're going to control football and basketball. The NCAA is going to be a minor partner in the future for these uh, teams. And we'll get you out here on this. What was it like coaching against the greats of college basketball? I coached against Patrick Ewing, played Georgetown. Chris Mullen was a great player at St. John's. Um, and uh, it, it, uh, when I was in Maryland, we coached against, you know, the Grand Hills of the world. Uh, all those guys were just great players. Uh, you know, it's, it's really a lot of fun. In other words, that's the challenge that I always like, uh, going against the best. And I was fortunate in the three places I coached after American Youth to, uh, at that time, probably for a 30-year period, I coached against most of the great coaches, uh, you know, the Patinos, the Krzyzewskis, the Dean Smiths, people like that, that I really respect and still respect. But what they do is they force you to raise your game as a coach. In other words, you can't expect to beat them unless you're working your butt off trying to get as good as they are. So I always like that challenge of going against the best. It's, you know, I, I know some coaches that, that hide behind their schedule, they hide behind um, you know, at a place where they're not, they might not make as much money, but they are probably going to have pretty good security where they are. And so, it all depends what you like. I just always like the challenge, you know, coaching against the highest level we could. Hey, Gary Williams, former American University, Boston College, Ohio State, and University of Maryland basketball coach. He will be inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame. August 8th, Springfield, Mass., along with former greats such as Alonzo Mourning and the angel of David Stern. Ah. How about that? 
We will. There's the great David Stern. How about that? Yeah, it's true. All right, we'll we'll take a music break. When we come back on the flip side, we'll talk some MLB All-Star game. We'll finally break down the World Cup final, which is this Sunday, 4 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. And a very special surprise, Fanatic Radio style. Stay with us. You're listening to Fanatic Radio on Block Talk Radio. Fanatic Radio. Get ready to break the pain! <laughs> the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Lock Talk Radio. Radio. 
Fanatic Radio, America's premier sports music program. My Gardner Ben Florence. Hoping you have a good 7-11. Reminding fans to go out there and go to your local 7-11 as it is free Slurpee Day. Wait, what? Yeah, because it's 7-11. Go to your participating convenience store of 7-11. They you get a free small Slurpee. Wait, for real? Oh, wow. God, I am, I am way off. God, I gotta find one before I go to work. I know. Luckily, I think Seven Eleven headquarters in Dallas, so they're just, just you know scattered all over the place. But it's great. Once again, yeah. you can uh, go listen to the podcast on iTunes. We break down LeBron James going to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh, there's one right here. Yes. Flip out of Seven Eleven. Oh, this is great. I just happened to on the corner. This happens to be one right here. This is all. God bless you, radio listen. for opening my eyes. Yeah, you also listen to uh, part two of the uh, interview with Gary Williams. Going to the Hall of Fame August 8th. You can, uh, the first part was on the June 27th episode, and all of that will be linked to bflow360.com. Also, a very special shout-out to everyone that has ever hey. contributed to this show, guests, fans, sources and everything because apparently going through the records it is Fanatic Radio's 100th episode here on the flagship station of Blog Talk Radio. By any stretch of the imagination I I don't know how we made it but we want to thank the people at BTR for giving us a new home and hoping that this relationship can continue in the near future because they provide us the uh, the services to making this show possible. Our only request is we hope that we can keep this loving relationship going forward as we continue to pump out great guests from the past, and we'll be looking forward to the future. Well, I must also mention that song, Bossa Nova, the Viva Mix by Elvis Presley. You might have heard it on the hilarious Heineken commercials where the guy tries to hunt down his secret lover by using nothing only than a business card holder full of just cool places. I've always got to love the Heineken commercials. That being said, we will go right into something that is in uh, the, uh, the country that Heineken, uh, the continent Heineken has made is, is Europe and Germany. It's yeah. playing Argentina in the World Cup final this Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern in uh, Stadio de Americana in Rio de Janeiro. How Germany got to this point, though, is a little bit of a surprise. Blows the whistle to put Brazil out of their misery. But the depression will go on for a long time about what we've seen here among the Brazilian public. 7-1, the scarcely believable scoreline in Belo Horizonte. That's right. The best was when uh, Ian Dark was doing this game on ESPN. He said, if you just tuned in now, it is not a mistake. This score is 7-1. Flo, what was more miraculous, the fact that they scored seven in the semifinal game or that they scored five goals in 30 minutes? I think it's definitely not only the five goals in 30 minutes, how about the three goals in three minutes? It seems like they would, would, you know, or Brazil would, you know, get the ball back at uh, the reset or whatever you call it. And then all of a sudden, you know, Germany would get the ball right back and just drive it and score. I mean, it was it was totally nuts to watch. I missed the first goal because I started watching the game at the gym and I walked back about like 10-minute walk. They scored the first goal like 11 minutes. 
But then all of a sudden, it's like four nil, and then it's five nil. You know, within the first half hour. So, and then not only the fact that they did it against a, well, supposedly a really good team, Brazil. Of course, they was that Neymar, Thiago Silva as well. But also to do it on Brazil's home turf, well, Brazil has not lost a home game in X amount of years. Totally shocking. Brazil just got completely manhandled. But again, a great Germany team that could very well win it all on Sunday. But how Germany beat Brazil, completely ridiculous. No idea how it happened. And quite frankly, that could very well be the most surprising result of this World Cup. They take on Argentina featuring Leo Messi, who has taken the world by storm with basically everything going through him, but not just a guy carrying a team on his back but an entire nation and apparently a lot of uh, speculation considering if he's the greatest of all time, or at least in his home country of Argentina. Flo, you got one of two teams correct in Argentina. Are you now going to pick them as the uh, the World Cup favorites, or was the German game against Brazil too much of, of a convincing factor to say you know, that the Dutch are going to win? You know, it really is. I really am. I would lead toward Argentina, but, I mean, you know, we just talked about Germany's incredibly impressive victory over Brazilians. Not only the fact that Argentina played a very tight game against the Dutch uh, throughout. It was scoreless through 120 minutes, 0-1 in. So while the Netherlands have been one of the stronger teams in this tournament, the fact that I, I think the favorite right now may just be the Germans. I think that and I think that it'll definitely be a tough match. And, you know, when you got a guy like Leo Messi, always going to be in the hunt. But I think he, I think Germany's got to be the favorite as of right now for uh, to win the whole shebang. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of legitimate reasons why that that is big ten. This game can go either way because convincingly, Germany has pretty much taken this World Cup by storm. The first game out of the, out of the gate, they won 4-0. And the yep. only team that's ever that's actually given them a test was Ghana in the second game where they actually salvaged a tie, Germany actually salvaged a tie, and Algeria in the round of 16. Mm-hmm. Other than that, every game has pretty much been they score first and their defense is just too strong. That's when you yep. go to Argentina. You think Argentina though they've sort of they've, they've sort of snuck by a lot of opponents and almost lost a few games if it wasn't for the fact that they have a home field advantage everywhere they go. This is for me the, the whole debate of a message better than Maradona. I think him making the finals clearly makes him the best player in Argentina, just for the fact of what he's accomplished before. And now, yep. I think this is his third World Cup. He's dragged this team kicking and screaming to the finals, and now he gets uh, Angel Di Maria back. So things could get interesting. I still am going to pick Germany in this game because of the midfield and of the fact that Germany can attack in waves. Because Argentina's defense has not been that that spectacular. They did play their best game though against the Netherlands in the semifinals, which is is big. You have to play your best game in the semifinals. But yeah. they all they had to do was stop Robin Van Persie, Iron Robin, and Wesley Snyder. You can name at least about six or seven Germans that will completely just flood the Argentine box. And now knowing that they're playing in the World Cup final, they have all this confidence. Their Germans are, are so prepared 
and they execute so well, which I think is an exact opposite of Argentina, how they just go out and try to make stuff happen off of mistakes. Unfortunately, Germany doesn't make that many mistakes. I'm not going to say it's going to be a blowout like we saw in the semifinals, but it's going to be close to because Argentina is hoping that they can at least hang in there from 0-0 and maybe get a late goal. I think it's going to be close to says closer than the experts think in terms of it'll probably be a 1-0 or 2-0 game. Goal will be scored in the second half. That's the final. That's on Sunday, 4 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. The third place game, though, Flo, is what we are excited for because it features – yeah, the Dutch team that lost on penalties and a Brazil team that is licking its wounds off of a 7-1 loss. Are you going to stick with the home nation to come out and win that game? You know, I think just based on the fact that it was such an embarrassing anyway, such an embarrassing loss. And for the thing, you know, I, I actually picked Brazil to win the game. Yes, they're losing Neymar and, and Silva, but I thought they were going to come out, have the home field advantage, win an, get an emotional close win over the Germans. Obviously, that didn't happen. I think Brazil, I think they are, even though they have great this World Cup, I think they are still better than the Dutch. I think they'll actually take advantage of that long advantage. And I think the fact that they got so dismantled that they're going to come out and truly give it their all to uh, get a uh, get a bounce back. Third place, that's somewhat of a compromise for what has just been a, a truly uh, – tr- uh, a, a pretty underwhelming World Cup for the team that a lot of people, myself included, thought would be the favorite. Well, without ne- it's interesting because if they would have lost at least like two zero, three zero to Germany, I think they would have lost. Might have looked past the third place game because they barely lost to a very good team that could most likely win it all. The fact that they lost seven one, yeah, I've, I've been on, I've been on a lot of intramurals and rec teams that have suffered similar losses in terms of just getting getting the snot kicked out of you. And you end up, you end up playing the second game with more anger and vengeance me, than you do up? with uh, with common sense. I think oh, for Brazil, I love how the ah, coach, their coach said this was the uh, the worst game, yeah, worst day of his life. And when you, when your coach says that, it's like okay, it's, we're gonna now go out for national pride against the Dutch team. I think is not gonna take this game very lightly because they lost on penalties and they couldn't score against Argentina. So they can't score against Argentina. They probably won't score against Brazil. I could see Brazil winning. But then again, I could see this game This game going into penalties, considering that both teams don't want to be in this scenario because both teams lost in pretty laughable fashion. But the third-place game is tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern at ESPN, and the World Cup final, some say, is the greatest spectacle in sports. Tune in on – it's on ESPN. It's on ABC. Who am I kidding? Yes. ABC has the World Cup final, Germany, Argentina. Flo and I have Das Vermans winning it for the first time since 1990 when uh, USA's own Jürgen Klinsmann was on the roster. Speaking of rosters, something to tune in also once you're done with World Cup fever and World Cup euphoria. John Garner and I will break down the 25 most shocking moments of the World Cup on next Tuesday. But next Wednesday, tune in to Fox as it is the... MLB All-Star Game, live from the Twin Cities, featuring the best and brightest of Major League Baseball. It's been a very interesting year in baseball, Flo. And now they go to the All-Star Game. Uh, Looking forward to that on Fox? Yeah, I think that certainly the All-Star Game is not what it used to be, where I think it's in league play and all that. 
has really earned that, but certainly it's going to be a fun game to watch. Uh, this is a free test, right? All right, thank you. Sorry about that. Um, so I think that definitely the All-Star game still always is a fun time. Now with all around interleague play, you see these guys play each other every other you know, every other week, unlike the old days where they would, wouldn't play each other at all in each league until the All-Star break. But still, it's also it's a fun game to watch. Fox has got a whole bunch of gizmos. Uh, Simon Cam, you got uh, some wacky uh, pitching graphics. They got all kinds of stuff, and it's small. It's a little past the middle way point. So the All Star Game, even though you have the inane uh, theory of, you know, win, winner gets home field advantage in the World Series because for some reason, Major League Baseball declined to do what virtually every other sport does, and put, you know, give it to the best team. Or you can even, you even hear the theory espoused by people like Peter Cammons that it should be at a neutral venue. But beyond, but beyond that, I think I definitely an all-star. Uh, it'll be an interesting all-star game in the Twin Cities. Target Field will certainly be a fun one to watch and enjoy. And uh, yeah, I know you're excited as well, big baseball fan you are. I love the all-star game. Uh, I love the home run derby too. Actually, I've grown to yeah. like it less and less because it's almost like the dunk contest. The best aren't in it. And it's a lot of guys I have no idea. The All-Star game I do enjoy because it takes the best guys that are sort of on the, uh, the, po- the popularity list of the best out there, including Yankees' very own Derek Jeter, who will be playing in his final All-Star game. Will he be getting the same sort of reception as Mariano Rivera got last year? Uh, I think he will because Derek Jeter, he's been really the face of the Yankees for so long, and he's known for being such a classy guy, a very well-liked player, a clean player, uh, always plays hard, and all in all, uh, you know, more or less, really one of the most, I I would say one of the most respected players in baseball. Of course, I'm a little biased as a Yankees fan, but I think he definitely will get a warm reception. Now, did he get in the All-Star Now, of course, the fact that this is his last All-Star game, definitely getting on the roster. Although, in the American League, the shortstop field is very weak. And he's also played a little better than I thought he was this year for New York. So, I think that it would definitely be emotional to see for Yankee fans and others. And, uh, yeah, so Derek Jeter... It could be uh, the last time a lot of the country will get to see him, especially the Yankees continuing on their current pace and you got to make the postseason. And we get the two managers who are the uh, the two defending World Series man- the guys that compete in the World Series will be managing the teams. If you were both AL and NL flow, who would be your starters? Uh, in the American League, uh, I would go with uh, Felix Hernandez. I think that he has barely been the best pitcher in the American League over Masahiro Tanaka. And, of course, now it's a moot point because Tanaka was not going to play the All-Star game. Anyways, and now we're time to disable it. So I think in the American League, Felix Hernandez is the guy. I don't know if he's pitching soon, but I would presume that he would be the starting pitcher for the uh, the junior circuit. In the senior circuit, the National League, 
You know, it's a really tough decision because I think he's going to make a very good case that the best pitcher, even though he hasn't pitched all that much this year, has been Clayton Kershaw, especially when he had that insane 41 inning streak. But as of right now, I think the best pitcher all year for the National League for the full year has been Johnny Cueto of the Cincinnati Reds. And I think Cueto should get the nod for the National League as well. As I think if you the season ended right now, Cueto would be the National League side winner. Of course, Kershaw can go nuts the rest of the way, and probably will, and get the crown. But I think that if, if I were both managers in a godlike scenario, I would have a pitching matchup, Felix, King Felix Hernandez and uh, Mr. John Cueto. Interesting. Great observation of your boy Tanaka going on the uh, the DL. Very sad to see that because he would have been my choice. I go with David Price from the from the Rays. Considering the Rays, I love it how they are a very good team. Always have been, and yet they have no fan support. Kind of reminds me of several teams that uh, are our very own university. And for the National League, I have to, I'm I'm gonna go biased and go with Clayton Kershaw, considering he's already had a no hitter, and he is on this. This insane streak, which he is getting surprisingly very close to 59, which is the uh, the current yep. most in uh, Major League Baseball history. So, you know, love the All-Star game. That's on Wednesday. My Dodgers great Oral Hershaw's in the left. Yes, that's on the 15th on Fox. Tune in to watch the captain start. Also, I want to give a quick shout-out to Jordan Zimmerman being the only player on the Washington Nationals to make the All-Star game. Thanks, D.C., for uh, for electing your Nationals. Also, I love how the car, uh, shout-out to family in, the, uh, in Denver, Colorado. Several Rockies surprisingly made the uh, the All-Star, including Troy Tulowitzki, who will be starting at shortstop knowing that the Texas Rangers are tanking, and the only Ranger on the uh, – the only two Rangers, Adrian Beltran and Yu Darvish. So that's good to know. Which now brings us to a uh, very special segment here on FNAC yes. Radio before we close out the show. How about yes. Lynch for music? Lynch for music for throwback. And we got the funk. Oh, well, uh, glory be, the funk's on me, Bobby. Keep that funk alive. No fans, it is not tweets from Flow, but we've come up with uh, with a new thing as part of our Fnac Radio summer series of episodes yeah. before August rolls around. We'll be basically bringing you a splash of various top ten, top five lists of just any random thing that came to our mind over the past few weeks. And for this week, considering that everything has been focused on the media, television, social media, what have you, it is time for Fanatic Radio's top five best and worst sports television programs on your t- on your TV sets today. We will immediately start with our worst as... We'll begin starting off with number five, and this was recommended by Flo. Of course, quick disclaimer, this is mostly our opinion, but some research did go into this, especially on my part, considering the worst shows. I don't watch a lot of these worst shows. But number five, we have to start off with Numbers Never Lie on ESPN. Flo, why is this a bad, why is this just one of the worst shows on television? 
Now, the, the reason why I picked this is partially out of disappointment. When Numbers Never Lie debuted, it's co-hosted by our good friend Carissa Thompson and Michael Smith, and they would feature, it would be almost like what MLB Now used to be, and kind of is, actually what MLB Now is, it's like a numbers perspective versus a, uh, you know, a non-numbers perspective, looking at the analytics, statistics, advanced uh, saver metrics, all that jazz across sports. That's what it was. Go- what I was hoping it would be. Now you watch it's Michael Smith, Jamel Hill, who I'm not really a fan of, and um, I didn't know who she was. No, it's Michael Smith and Jamel Hill, and now it's just turned into another silly de- ESPN debate show where there was it was just people would just yell at each other, including you had an insane rant where the end, and this was completely ridiculous. They asked uh, this woman to write it for ESPNW. It was, like, right after the start of the NBA playoffs. It was as the Pacers were having trouble down in the Atlanta Hawks. And the question was, do you think the Knicks regret not making the playoffs? Which is an inane question because, of course, you'd rather be in the playoffs than not be in the playoffs unless you're just tanking. A. B. Who the hell cares about the New York Knicks when they're not in the playoffs and we're talking about the playoffs? And this woman had a great rant about it, how it was such a stupid question and nobody came. So a total disappointing show. They tried to make it into, like, first take junior, and it's a disappointment. And, yeah, don't watch the numbers never lie. That's funny. This show's been going on since 2011. It makes the show is a great concept, but makes no sense. And a lot of it, and, of course, a lot of these shows, the reason why they're so bad are so, because they're so heavily dominated by social media in which the fact that the whole quote-unquote everyone is a journalist, you know, it certain, certain, comes to a certain point where not everyone's a journalist, and most yep. people, as Flo and Mike Francesa love to say, are just a bunch of mongoes. Numbers never lie at number five. <laughs> number four is the soccer gods on a channel called Fusion, which, A, I'd never heard of this show until my mom actually gave me her, uh, her little review of it, and I'd never heard of the channel Fusion until I had to actually ask Flo. It is basically a... A, a partnership of Univision and ABC in some warehouse down in South Beach, Miami. Basically the gist of this show, and this is where social media ruins television. It's just three guys, one who, and I'm going to make a, a tongue-in-cheek comparison, he hosts just like Eric Wilkins does. And Flo <laughs> will get this more than any of our listeners. You know, he's, he's very excited, a very animated character. But his knowledge doesn't really stretch beyond the boundaries, especially for soccer. And he really well, stumbles over the teleprompter a lot. We love Eric fine. Wilkins, though. But it's funny because guy can't really hold a conversation well. And that's, this isn't Wilkins. This is just this guy. Stumbles over the teleprompter and laughs. And then you have two guys that one is, you know, a well-spoken European who knows soccer, who basically is the voice of reason. And then you have this other guy who tries to be like Adam Carolla. Now, Adam Carolla is a very funny man, and he's very crass humor, and his sarcasm is through the roof, and for that, we love it, and we love his podcast. But when a guy who is roughly our age, maybe in his mid-20s, tries to imitate that, it just makes no sense. The gist of this show is nothing about soccer. It's just showing tweets and vines about what happened. And it doesn't work on television, and it's very annoying. Soccer God is number four. Number three, this is one Flo really liked when, we, when I recommended it. 
Uh, an old show on Spike TV from 06 to 2010, Pros versus Joes. Flo, yeah. we love the concept of where we can take the average Joe and face them against great athletes like Joey Harrington and uh, the wrestler Goldberg. But why put this on TV? Yeah, I mean, I don't even think the show is – it may not be on the air anymore, but I definitely remember watching – it really is a funny concept. But the but the problem with the show is, A, it got, like, very average at best, mediocre to just awful athletes at worst. It would be fun if we got, like, the absolute best of the best on the show. And then they got, like, really athletic guys. It wasn't, like, real jokes. just, like, random guys up the street. They found, like, actual, like, athletic guys, the guys that knew how to play the respective sports, instead of just – it would have been great if it was just morons on Twitter just yakking off about blah, 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 and then they play one-on-one and just get creep. But it's another yes. show that has a, has a great concept, but then, you know, like, a lot of crap on Spike, which there is a lot of crap. Although, I, I will say Bar Rescue is great show. But, and Adam Carolla's got a show on Spike. I think it's, like, a, a catch a contract with some jazz. But um, another show, it's disappointing, borderline the name. It's almost like, well, it's not the worst thing Spike's ever put out. I mean, that would probably be Mancers, which is just god all. But, yeah. It's probably it's probably like slam ball. That's true. Also, great. Now, it's a great program. All right, so that number three is pros versus Joes. Number two, this is the newest show, apart from the soccer guys. This show is on the mothership, so it gets more views, featuring... Flo's worst enemy, Colin Coward. He has a radio oh. show, and he left Sports Nation because he wanted to focus on that. So why did he just turn around and start a football show? Yeah, I have no idea. I, Lord knows, I'm, I am no fan of Colin Coward. I think he's a dick. Um, I think that he is uh, hes over the top. I think he well, – the, the whole John Wong thing was totally out of line and ridiculous. I think he raced face a lot, too. No Colin Coward. And the problem is, it's like you give them this football show, which, hey, we really don't need any more football shows, especially at the expense of outside the lines, which is bumped to ESPN2 and then lost like half its audience as a result. But it's like all these, like, fake commercials and all these comic ads, which is, I mean, you know, there's not really a whole lot of analysis going on, A. And B, the problem is Coward is not funny. He himself is not funny. So it's trying to make more entertaining, more entertaining. He's all like the hack. People like him. God bless him. I don't. Terrible show. You know what's what, what's number one though? Well, we know back to, back to Coward. We know he uh, has his radio show, so he covers everything. And we know a lot of people on Sports Center are very specialized, despite them being anchors. Got Scott Van Pelt came from the Golf Channel. John Butchergrass, who has been a guest of the show, is the is you know is Bucci Overtime Challenge and a lover of all things hockey. We've had Bram Weinstein, who's a big NFL guy. Kevin Connors loves the NBA. I've never heard Colin Coward say I like football, which and it, it's just another show where someone there's too many football shows on ESPN. You got the one with Ben yeah. Dilfer, and then you got the one with you know you might as well just give Keyshawn Johnson his own show. But whatever. We love Sean Johnson. Did he still with ESPN or did they fire him? Unlike uh, unlike Hugh Douglas, he was actually fired from Numbers Never Lie because of an altercation between him and Michael Smith, but that's for another rainy day. 
which now sends us to (laughs) our final, the number one uh, worst show on television has been around since 2007, is a show that many many do know, and Flo and I despise, ESPN's very own first take, formerly known as Cold Pizza. Basically, the show, it goes right into the carbon copy, cookie-cutter show of every single show that comes out on every small channel today, a classic sports (laughs) debate show. We love that, and some and one and a couple are even featured on our best shows. But first take it takes it way out of line, more times than it does with good ideas, and it features probably the two worst people you can put on television, in Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless, because they are on it not for their journalistic integrity like they once were known for. But instead, they are on it just for running their mouth and bombastic comments. Well, why do you hate First Take? Well, first off, I hate Skip Bayless. I think he is the ultimate troll. Where like he's been on the whole anti-LeBron James crusade forever, solely for the fact that LeBron James is the best player in the NBA, and he just trolls the fire because that's the kind of guy Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless has always been kind of a degenerate. Like he's a long-time uh, writer in Dallas. Uh, in your neck of the woods, he famously wrote a book about the Dallas Cowboys where he insinuated without any evidence that Troy Aikman is gay. And then Troy Aikman, like 10 years later, said like in, on an interview, a radio show, like, yeah, if I ever met Skip Bayless, yeah, he would be in a hospital. It's something ridiculous. And I actually, I don't hate Stephen A. I just think that the, the, the levels that he's sunk to wear now, if Skip Bayless thinks something inane, Skip Bayless totally losing his mind, raising his voice, his voice finally a couple octaves, and always taking the opposite point. Uh, I think the show is totally out of control. Uh, totally, yeah, absolutely out of control, as a matter of fact. The fact that Steve just said the N-word at least twice, and then no penalty or anything came out of it. Yet Rob Parker the one time uh, calling uh, a uh, uh, Robert Griffin the third. Uh, Two years ago, a, a cornball brother, because among which other we broke things, on this radio show. We talked about that, and knowing how we, ESPN just pitted him, it's like, why do you gotta fire a guy like this? Same with your boy Stephen yeah. A. Smith for saying racist things on the Sports Center, and ESPN's yeah. like, oh, a slap on the wrist. Yes, absolutely. And the fact that not only that, they promote these guys, and they promote the whole embrace debate platform. But then whenever, like, Skip goes way over the line, the Stephen A goes over the line, it's almost like, hey, you know, we don't promote these guys. It's totally ridiculous. If I first take, check out any column by uh, Richard Deitch's Twitter feed, because he's all over it. He had actually a very interesting interview with, like, the, the producer of the show. And totally great. now with NBC. What's that? Yeah, guys, guy, I guess sort of... Streamlined first take now going to the Today Show. Oh yes, that's right, uh, Mr. Horowitz. Yeah, he really was a big promoter of the whole debate program. And you know what? People, for some reason, do watch first take no matter how trash it is. It's gotten success because first take came out because Cold Pizza, which was ESPN that said to make a morning show way back when. I remember watching it. Nobody watched, and it pretty much was an awful show. That, then they ultimately had a segment out called First in Town where it was debate segments with Woody Page and Skip Bayless. Ultimately, Woody Page went back to the Denver Post and was like, I'm getting the hell out of here. And, but Skip Bayless just remained 
They brought in a bunch of people to debate him. And then ultimately they skipped on Stephen A because Stephen A, you know, loud guy, loves to yell, all that shit. So, yeah, first day, a pretty abominable program. And I feel pretty safe in saying it probably is one of the worst shows on Dell. Yeah, and we and we, we watch a lot of political shows from time to time that are way over the top. Funny, speaking of Skip Bayless on Twitter, because, continuing to troll LeBron James even after he's going home, for the right reasons, I'd have to say, his wife has family in Akron, LeBron loves home, he said the city said Ohio is more to him than the game of basketball, and it's prompt Skip Bayless to tweet, he applauds him, making him even a bigger story than the World Cup. Well, I'm sorry, Skip, but the World Cup isn't on right now, it's on tomorrow and Sunday. Yeah. So, Smack Radio 1, Skip Bayless 0. And now it is time for our top five best shows, sports shows on television. Now, we had many nominations for this, honorable mentions, including, you know, the, the big, the big uh, budget shows that try to tap into sports and succeed, among being when 60 Minutes does their little things on sports. Great piece on uh, Messi and, Bar- and his club in Barcelona, which uh, I think Molly Safer did was a very good job when he interviewed uh, Joe Piquet. And Real Sports with Brian Gumbel. With Gumbel, who had no sports background, has turned it into an Emmy-winning show off the wazoo. Before, no, I took a different but, approach on this. Yeah, but, I mean, Brian Gumbel does have a sports background. He, like, was the studio host of their uh, – he came his, – his original background is sports, and then he became the host of the Today Show. But So that's, that's not really accurate to say that Gumbel doesn't have any sports background. I mean, he's not as known for sports as his brother is, but there is – a sporting background for Mr. Brian Gumble of uh, Gumble to Gumble Beach Justice. Yes. OMG, yes. Okay, so I promise us right into number five. This was unrecommended by Flo, which uh, didn't disagree with it when I first saw it, but then when you look at it, very funny concept. Dan Levitar is highly questionable. It's on ESPN2, which features yep. a cast of uh, Dan Levitar himself, who we know has had a wonderful track record including getting his uh, Hall of Fame vote for the Baseball Hall of Fame <laughs> taken away after yep. he sold it and Desmond in a fan vote. And so he so he think, oh, Dan Levitar, a lot of people hate him or love him. But then the fact that he does it with his dad and Bomani Jones, and it could only be described yeah. as uh, his dad's kitchen, it's an interesting yeah. show because, and I, it's an interesting show, and I like it because of the guests he gets. He doesn't go way too far on the national scale. You know, we're going to get LeBron or we're going to get Adam Silver on the show. He gets various guests that kind of pertain to, you know, his lifestyle in Miami. You've had, I believe, Lil Wayne, 2 Chains, and Drake are on this. I've been on this show from time to time. You get, you know, Andy Roddick on the show. And then you get your NBA NBA All-Stars and then your Major League Baseball All-Stars. But the fact that his dad kind of really has no knowledge of sports and is sort of being taught every day makes this show pretty funny. Absolutely. You know, I, it was a show, I, I, you know, I love the original concept to where it was Levitard and his grandfather, because his grandfather, not polished for TV at all, and his grandfather is out of his, or his father, pardon me, his father is not out of his mind and absolutely hilarious. Then they tried to make a little more of a debate show with Levitard and Bomani Jones, and not as much poppy, but even then, and I like Falati Jones a lot. I think he's a very uh, fascinating uh, sports mind, always very provocative, very knowledgeable guy. 
And so, but I think it's a really funny show. There's a lot of chemistry there. They do great interviews. They made headlines of the interviews, like, uh, for example, uh, when Pat Sajak said that he has hosted a Wheel of Fortune drunk on the air, and that was like three years ago, uh, all kinds of great, funny interviews. And so it's really a, it's really a fun show, and I and I always enjoy it. It's kind of like this show. We get great interviews, not a lot of debate, <laughs> but you know what? When you're competing against the like news channels and sports centers and Fox Sports Live, you don't necessarily need debate shows. It's just good content. Dan Levitar, highly questionable. ESPN two. That's number five. Number four brings touches the hearts of many, especially for us race fans. It is NASCAR's Race Hub on yeah. Fox Sports One. This one started in speed and. For all the, the attempted NASCAR shows we've seen in the past, it seems like this show truly gets it right. Absolutely. You know, really, in the past, haven't been that many NASCAR shows. Like ESPN used to have a show, RPM Tonight, uh, hosted by a variety of folks. And then that kind of went away when ESPN lost the rights. Fox tried a couple of shows. They had their, This Week in NASCAR, uh, uh, Inside Mexico Cup, Inside Sprint Cup. But I think that race, especially after it took so long for NASCAR now and ESPN, which has now been canceled to be like you know a legitimate program, to really, it's a it's a show I always really like. Uh, Steve Burns is the eminent professional. We love Steve Burns, great host. Daniel Trot is very good. Uh, you get uh, a lot of the NASCAR Fox guys. You get Chuck Hammond, Larry Mack, uh, uh, Mack Clark, uh, all the former uh, Speed guys as well. You get a lot of reporters as well. They're in Charlotte, so they get all the people, like, they'll come on set. They do all kinds of interviews. It's a show that's grown a lot. Because in the beginning, there were a myriad of very solid, very good informational show, a little entertaining as well. And for an Astro fan like you and I, it's almost a much watch. And you're starting to see the same thing on NBC Sports Network and NASCAR America, a similar program as well. So for if you're an Astro fan into your daily NASCAR fix, NASCAR Race Hub, good place to go. Yeah, it's a very good show because of the people. They're already immediately connected. It would be, it's almost, and, and they're not, and the people who are doing this are pit reporters. They're not analysts. A lot of the shows we see today, especially the, uh, the ESPN shows that they do with the NFL, it's all just former players that know the players but don't really get solid inside scoops. These are guys that are on the front lines, sometimes you know, pit reporters, Larry Mack, Jeff Hammond, Steve Burns, and Bob Dillner. Those are the guys you yep. see running around the garage and pit lane. So they're, they're reporters first, and then you get the, the other guy. And then you get the, well, formerly the Jimmy Spencer, the Elliott Sadlers, you get the race car guys. So it's not yep. solely based on former athletes, but instead it's based on journalists, which, hmm, that's ironic, which leads a perfect segue into our number three best show, and, and, of course, the, the top three now, these could easily be interchangeable, one, two, and three. But number three, and probably my, one of my favorite shows on this, is uh, Pardon the Interruption, featuring Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon, two Washington, former Washington Post columnists, now turn it to a very funny show of two old guys talking about sports. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's ironic. I'm actually in the building I have to go to for work. I'm standing outside of right now, is across the street from the Washington Post bill. So how about that? But, yeah, you know, it's really, it really was one of the first national sports talk debate shows. And it was interesting. You have these two guys that, you know, didn't really have any background in television. They were long-time Washington, sport, uh, Washington sports figures. Uh, great guys, you know. And it's, 
So really, it's a very informative show. It's a great show. They do great interviews. We love Tony Kornheiser. We love Will Bunny, even though I exhorcerated him for the name Jurgen Klinsmann. Kobe Bryant ran a few weeks ago. That's water under the bridge or over the dam, if you will. But, yeah, Martin yeah. Interrupted is a classic. Uh, really one of the best shows on ESPN, without question. It's a fun show. Uh, get your information. Uh, and, yeah, it's always, always been a personal favorite of mine. Yeah, back to what Ray, back to what Ray said was, it, 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 these are guys that were not former athletes and journalists, but they've stuck at it. And they, and they originally started this show as a joke, and including the very first PTI intro, and Tony Kornheiser saying, if we could have a TV show, you can too. <laughs> and I love yep. it because these guys report the headlines and get the interviews, and that's it. They don't use social media, so they don't really care what anyone else says. They take very, you know, the people they get aren't necessarily from the mothership. They're from other outlets. As you know, they get Joe Buck sometimes in the head of the classic interviews of Joe Buck, Tim Carver. Uh, they get the uh, the classic interviews, and then they get a little uh, even more. You know, just in the interview with LeBron James, it took them forever. They get Charles Barkley. You know, sort of above and beyond. And it's very sad Tony Reale is uh, leaving the show because he also made the show that great, considering you had a great chemistry of guys that have worked in the newsroom, and reality is just as good. Speaking of Charles Barkley, he leads us to number two, Inside the NBA on TNT. Tons of sports Emmys for this show, and rightfully so, Absolutely. Ernie Johnson, and then Kenny the Jet Smith, Sir Charles, and the big Aristotle, Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> what some would seem that these guys hit basketball on the nail with their, uh, their first of all, they're, they're just – Overall ridiculousness and banter, especially with uh, Charles Barkley. But in terms of breaking down the NBA, which many frown upon as being, oh, there's no defense or teams don't try until they get to the playoffs, they make it entertaining to watch the occasional Thursday night uh, NBA game. Absolutely. You know, you talk about Charles Barkley. He really is perhaps the most unfiltered guy on television. He will tell you whatever he thinks. It's not always a polished opinion that sometimes you see people just say, you know, playing it safe. He always keeps it real. He tells you how it is. He's hilarious. He's out of control at times. And he's, and he's always been a guy to where he's on the TV and you have to watch solely for whatever Chuck is going to say. Kenny Smith has always been kind of a straight man to an analysis, but he's not afraid to give it a straight talk as well. The thing with Shaq, he's not a great analyst, and it seems like a lot of times – he, he's not as comfortable talking about the serious stuff because he just wants to, you know, goof around and do all kinds of stuff. But the great thing about Shaq is that he's, he is hilarious and he has great chemistry. And the guy really brings it all together. And for one of the best guys on TV, Ernie, uh, Ernie E.J. Johnson, who really is the thing that makes E.J. great is that he is such a straight man. He really is the guy that gets Charles Barkley to go. And not only that, He's also very funny himself, very knowledgeable guy, and he really helps bring it all together and make it such a fun show to watch. That was beautiful of it. Yeah. Ernie Johnson, great great host in the fact that he can uh, pry Charles Barkley, but also reel him in. Another guy that does that very well in hosting the show is Chris Fowler, which is our number one show, College Game Day on ESPN. Fantastic show that is still going strong which we love, we love it all. We love the uh, 
the glee course at the heads, the mascot heads. Yeah, the controversy when they get to all the fans to boo them. This is a show that originally started with Timmy Boy Tim Brando. Uh, right. it off. And now it's turned and now it's turned into one of the, the most watched shows to wake up Saturday morning because the landscape of college football has just has nowhere to go but up. Absolutely. College game day, really the first three game show to go always go on set and it works so well for college football because college football fans are so passionate about their schools. They're up there they'll go to the West Coast. The show will be doing live at six, seven o'clock in, or seven, eight o'clock in the morning. And we've got fans going nuts. Uh, you know, they're so passionate in the wild. Lee Corso with the helmet picks. You know, this is open to a Tim Brando interview. When they started the show, when it was Tim Brando, the late great Vito Cook and Lee Corso, Corso was kind of a straight guy while Vito Cook was kind of, you know, rambunctious and all. Now Corso, who is hilarious, he always puts on the mascot here. Kirk Herbstreit, one of the best analysts in sports. Chris Fowler, smooth, uh, smooth as silk host. Uh, they've got a bunch of other personalities that figure in as well that do very good work. But it's that core of Fowler, Corso, and Herbstreit that is so much fun to watch. It really makes it perhaps the best show on sports television. All right, there's, your, there's our Top Fanatic Radio's top five best and worst sports shows on television. Join us next week as we'll try to think of another funny best and worst, maybe restaurants, teams, jerseys. Whatever you have it. You know what? You might as well just send us emails at thefanaticradio at gmail.com. We will uh, get, give the people and give the fans what they want. Yes. And I'll, and I'll do it for another episode of Fanatic Radio. Don't forget to tune into the podcast on iTunes to listen to part two of the Gary Williams interview. He's going to the Hall of Fame August 8th, former American University head coach. And the best part about it is Flo and I talk about the breaking news. LeBron James is heading back to the Cleveland Cavaliers and what the landscape of the Eastern Conference. And can Dave Blatt work in tandem with LeBron to get him yet another ring in spite of what everyone else is doubting him? Which goes to show home is where the heart is and LeBron James is coming back home. Now don't forget to check out their podcast on iTunes, bflow360.com, and on blogtalkradio.com slash fanaticradio. We want to thank BTR for 100 episodes of Fanatic Radio, hoping for 100 right. more above and beyond. For the Notorious Ben Florence, I'm Mike Gardner, saying so long. We'll see you next time. <laughs>